0: This is Valley Views, our weekly conversation with influential and interesting folks from around the Wet Mountain Valley. Today's guest on Valley Views is Penn Parminder. She and her husband, Cord, are co-owners of Smart Greenhouses, LLC, and Miss Penn's Mountain Seeds. We're going to be talking about high mountain gardening today.
1: Penn, welcome to the program. Thank you, Gary. I'm so glad to be here. Now,
0: as we record this, it's February. I suspect even though we're in the snowy season, you're already busy. What's happening right now?
1: Well, for me, I'm shipping out seed orders. For everyone else, they're gazing upon seed catalogs. They're scrolling through different (laughs) seed companies and dreaming about the, the summer's beautiful bounty. What are some of the seeds that people buy locally? Especially things that aren't native here, like vegetables these are the things that people will tell you you can't grow here, like tomatoes and corn and pumpkins. They told me that when we arrived here 33 years ago, and I've been growing all of that ever since. And because of that, I learned seed saving, which anybody can do. The whole idea of seed saving is that seed learns, adapts, remembers, and it takes that information into the next generation. And because There are no two summers or no two seasons alike in Colorado. The information is accumulative. So after saving seeds for 14 years, they have 14 different Colorado summers on them. So they can handle things a lot differently than seed you're buying from, say, New Jersey or Kentucky or Texas, completely different climates. So local seeds is a really great strategy for mountain gardening.
0: Now, I came from Houston some years ago. You could drop most anything in the ground. It would grow. The growing season was quite long. Here, the growing season is short. How popular is gardening in the Wet Mountain
1: Valley? Surprisingly popular. There are people growing on their homesteads. There are people growing in in containers in their backyard. They're building gardens in the woods. You know that Colorado Sun... We only need five hours of it to grow a vegetable compared to 12 somewhere else. And that's because of the intensity of the high-altitude sun. There's no pollution. There's no humidity. There's no particles in the air. So you can really stretch it, and you can grow in the trees, which protects a lot of the plants.
0: So there's folks out there in Radioland who are new to the area. What are a few hints you'd give them as they think toward the summer of 2024?
1: One of the things that you'll hear here is that the soil is not good. In the Wet Mountain Valley, this is a fertile valley, what I consider to be. Um, You know, we grow some of the most nutritious hay in the country. People come from all over the country for this hay. And that is because of the short season, the high altitude sun, and the high amount of minerals and nutrients that are in this soil. What our soil lacks is organic matter, like leaves, even pine needles, manures from clean animals. And I say that as what goes in an animal comes out. So if your horses are in a corral with a salt lick, they're going to have high salt poop, right? Well, we want that good natural poop. And those kind of things that you add to that soil and you build the soil, you will be amazed at how well it does.
0: So where we are, We're in the wet mountains, and I think so are you. It's granite, it's rhyolite, so mineral-rich, but it's very different from the valley floor.
1: That's right, and it's very different from the side of the Sangres. However, we can all work with that soil surprisingly well. People's tendency is to go out and buy soil from landscape companies. The problem with that is that most landscape companies... And and not all of them, but these are the questions to ask. They're going to be filling that topsoil with wood chips. Wood decomposes in the forest, but it ties up nitrogen when it's just dumped into the topsoil. So it slows down the nitrogen to feed the plants. It's not a, a great all the time. I like to ask what is in their mix. If they're just giving you topsoil from this valley floor, hallelujah, that's wonderful stuff. You can start adding organic matter and you'll have beautiful soil in no time.
0: Let me ask, what are the key local elements working against folks?
1: Well, everyone will say the wind and then they will say the hail and the big game. And the soil, although I can tell you that we've been building soil. We've never imported anything. We make our own compost. The dry air can be very difficult, so we mulch everything very heavily. We never let bare soil show because it's wicking away your moisture, no matter how much you water. With big game, the DOW says 8 feet for deer and 10 feet for elk because elk will attempt 8 feet. So if you don't want to fence your entire property, then just fence a small garden area or just fence one bed. And what we do is we use really lightweight materials. So, And we're in the trees. Our gardens are in the trees. That cuts down on too much sun. Too much high-altitude sun can really torch those plants in the afternoon. So we look right through those fences and we don't even see them. But it's absolute necessary for deer and elk, you have to create a barrier, 100%. You
0: haven't been here for a couple of years, but I remember you had a story about the deer getting in and taking out your squash.
1: It was early on when we <laughs> thought we could hide our garden from the deer. <laughs> and they waited, of course, they're going to wait for everything to be ripe. And they took down 50 pounds of squash, every plant, every leaf, every squash, and they were laying on the side hill all bloated and and uh, didn't even get up when we came to scream at them.
0: So eight foot or 10 foot fences, Uh, what about birds? How big an issue is that? Do you have, have to put netting on to protect?
1: For birds, it's going to be about fruit. If you have fruit trees, if you're growing strawberries and and like currant bushes and things like that, again, they're going to wait for them to be ripe. Luckily, our mountains are laden with wild food. This is another part of my work is that I collect, I hand collect wild native seed from these mountains. And uh, that's also in my seed business. Those are the best for attracting the pollinators that we have here. And so when you're growing fruit, you may have to net some trees. You may have to put something over the strawberry patch. But small animals I don't mind sharing with. The big animals are uh, little pigs. They will eat it all. (laughs)
0: Let's talk about another approach. I have a friend who has a giant greenhouse, and you step into there. You are back in Houston. It's humid. It's warm. You work with uh, greenhouses, What sorts of things do you personally grow in your greenhouse?
1: Well, my husband has been referred to as the magic greenhouse man. He designs and builds 100% sustainable greenhouses that use absolutely no fuel. And I mean, we don't even turn on a fan. That is because we use natural convection to move the air. Everything we do in those greenhouses is a balanced fit so that they operate on their own year-round. I can grow tomatoes all winter. I can grow banana trees. And we never plug anything in. All you have to do is, my husband always says, just add water. I say, just add seed.
0: So there are a lot of people who have greenhouses here in the valley. What do they tend to grow in their greenhouses?
1: Well, they tend to grow the things that people tell them they can't grow outside, like a tomato which is why I began to research tomatoes. And I source my seed from places around the world that have similar climates as ours, like Siberia or Canada or Alaska. Siberia has an amazing amount of amazing tomato seeds. And the Altai Mountains of Siberia are very similar to the Rockies. So they don't have much to adapt to when they come over here. They're also very short season. They breed for flavor. Earliness and cold hardiness. And that doesn't mean a tomato likes cold. It means they can do a little better than a tomato that, say, was developed in New Jersey.
0: Let's go back outside, outside of the greenhouse. Somebody new is in the Valley. They're liable to ask, so what should I try? It's my first year. I'm no expert. But what would your advice be to someone like that?
1: To begin to have great success right away. I would grow all kinds of greens. I would grow all of the, the cabbage family, the brassica family. That's going to be kale and cabbage and Chinese cabbage and bok choy and radishes. All of the root vegetables, that's carrots, turnips, all of the root vegetables, beets that you can think of, and also so many perennial herbs love it here. They can handle the hot days and the cold nights like oregano, chives, sage, thyme. Those things will take. Those are perennials, so you put them in place. But all of those things love it here. And greens will grow all summer long. You don't have to worry about them bolting in the heat the way that you would down below. And so every kind of green, you can make your own mixes. You can do many successions of them. There are so many things that love to grow here. And by the way, squash loves to grow here, too. Summer squash, and if you find short-season pumpkins and winter squashes that's under 90 days or 90 days, those will do fine, too. They can handle it.
0: You've been growing for many years. What's your favorite crop? Tomatoes. Guy Clark has the song about homegrown tomatoes. Yep, so I, I can, remember I can it well. I appreciate that.
1: It's the love apple.
0: <laughs> there you go. What have you grown that hasn't worked out?
1: Hmm. You know, eggplants would like some cover. And that doesn't mean you have to have a greenhouse. But they they would like some nighttime cover. Um, Okra. Everybody tries to grow okra from the south. And you've (laughs) got to create an environment for them that is Mississippi. Hmm. So you have to create humidity. You have to be able to put them in something that they can enjoy. Now, there are some people who are growing okra, but... Yeah, that takes a, a bit of a, of a passion like I have for tomatoes mm-hmm. and finding seed from someone who's already grown it here.
0: What crop have you grown that was a big surprise for whatever reason?
1: Well, corn and pumpkins are, make us so happy. We grow 15-pound pumpkins in the open. We grow sweet corn. It is adapted from Montana. It's 73 days. It uh, only grows less than five feet tall, and it gets very, very busy putting cobs on quick. It's called Candy Mountain Sweet Corn. And the guy that developed it in Montana, I I bow down to him all the time because his work was amazing. Same with the pumpkins. These are things you don't think you can grow in the open, but you absolutely can.
0: Now, you've been here many years. You're an expert in the Valley. People know that. You get out and teach occasionally, I know.
1: We do. We have been teaching at the Denver Botanic Gardens for 17 years, I believe. Um, but we teach all over the region. We teach at events. We have held courses at our own place, although since COVID we haven't uh, done that for a while. But we, we hope to start that up again.
0: And you have a meeting coming up in Crestone in the not-too-distant future.
1: I do. Um, it, actually, on March 8th, I'll be at the Agra Summit in Salida. At the end of March, March 30th and 31st, I'll be at the San Luis Valley Seed Exchange. And if you want to have a kickin' great time, that is a wonderful event. And I will be speaking about the collection of wild native medicinal plants. That is going to be a fun one. And then back in April, I go to Pueblo to Nola Naturals Farm for their garden party. And I'll be speaking about high altitude gardening there. And then off to Denver Botanic Gardens we go the last weekend of April. All of that is on our website, That everything we do and wherever we'll be.
0: And what is your
1: website? It is www.penandcordsgarden.com.
0: I'm sure people throw random questions at you.
1: Happens a lot in the line at the post office, you know, because I'm shipping seeds. So we start talking about gardening. But uh, yes, and we are also available for consultations. So we, we do a lot of on-site consultations as well. Penn, the 15 minutes has gone fast. Any final thoughts? You know, this is the best advice I can give you. So many people want to start their seeds right now because they're longing for summer. It's so much better if you wait until the timing is right. We can't set warm-weather vegetables out until the first two weeks of June, if we're lucky. And that's meaning that are the nighttime temperatures stabilized yet? Tomatoes don't want to go out in 30 degrees at night. So you want to go four to six weeks back from when you're going to be setting them out in the garden. The first couple weeks of June is wild times at my house. So I'm not starting tomatoes for the open garden until April. So if you get ahead of yourself and those plants are too big and floppy and then you have to harden them off outside and they don't like that transplant, it's going to be much harder on them for really big plants to transplant. So hold back, stay calm, gather your materials, buy your seeds, and watch the calendar. (laughs) Penn, thanks for stopping by. Thank you so much for having me, Gary. I really enjoy sharing information.
0: Always an interesting topic. We've been visiting with Penn Parmenter She and her husband, Cord, co-own Smart Greenhouses, LLC, and Miss Penn's Mountain Seeds. And we've been talking about high-altitude gardening today. My name's Gary, and this has been Valley Views. If you've got a topic of interest for Valley Views, send a note to info at klzr.org, and we'll get it on the air. We'll see you next time on Valley Views. You've been listening to Valley Views on KLZR 91.7 FM. Valley Views airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 a.m. and 6 p.m. and again on Saturdays at 10 a.m. Valley Views is produced by the volunteers of KLZR 91.7 FM. I'm walking on a rainbow with my feet on solid ground. I'm walking on a rainbow, it's the best
1: thing.